Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today, I have the lullaby lady, Heather Dent, for a podcast requested by so many of you about babies and sleep and how to make them sleep and why they don't sleep and when you will ever get an opportunity to sleep again. Heather, thank you so much for coming into studio to talk to me. Thanks for having me. So I don't even really know where to start. This is an area that I'm not expert in at all. I do have sympathy for people who are mm-hmm. in this situation because I know what I'm like when I don't get enough sleep. Um, I guess the first question is, how do you set up your newborn for sleep success? Like, is there something you can be doing from the get go? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously you arrive home um, with this beautiful little bundle and you expect them just to sleep during the night and be awake during the day. And that's not what happens initially. They really need to find their feet. And the first thing I would say to new parents is to try to establish night and day for your child, for your little baby. So The number one tip I would give to new parents is to try and start your day every day at 7 a.m. So getting up at 7 a.m., opening the curtains, letting natural light in and really trying to let your baby find the way at what time they're supposed to be awake and when is nighttime, when is quiet time. It's not that they're going to sleep through the night initially, but they'll certainly be sleepier and they'll establish that day and night routine. So So even if they've woken at six o'clock for a feed... Absolutely. That's still night time. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's night time. I mean, like some people might be happy getting up at half six, like seven is just a, a general time. But there's a reason why all the baby books are the 7 p.m. to the 7 a.m. baby. That's their natural biological sleep clock. And that's what worked works best okay. um, so just picking a time be it half six or seven but in and around that time now initially when you get home from hospital with your newborn baby the first couple of weeks first two or three weeks should really be about bonding establishing feeding um, recovering you and the baby they've had a journey to get into the world as well so not trying to put too much pressure on yourselves but just do a little bit. So getting up at 7am. Now, if you, the mum, needs more sleep, maybe dad or partner or if granny is helping out, could get the baby up, get the baby awake for 10 or 15 minutes. Are you waking minutes. the baby at 7 if they're not awake? You would. Okay. Yeah, I would. And I would I would carry this on way past the newborn stage. I'd set, you, I'd set your clock. Babies, young children, toddlers, they 
absolutely thrive on routine. Mm-hmm. So if they're still asleep at 7am, yeah, I would wake them up. Now, just take it with a pinch of salt. This mightn't be at week one or week two, but definitely after kind of three or four weeks. The first month, really, you know, you're going easy on yourself, but just waking them up, um, getting them going, bringing them into natural light, maybe giving the first feed, set it at 7am. Um, all those things can really, really help. Establishing a consistent sleep space is really, really important as well um, for a baby. So it's not to say you won't be cuddling your newborn and sitting on the couch and, and holding them and rocking them and everything like that. But maybe trying when they are asleep or if they're happy to go asleep there initially, popping them down in the Moses basket or in the next to me. You know, they need to be really within your line of sight at all times when they're newborn. So setting up a sleep space downstairs is really, really important as well. Um, Moses baskets are absolutely fantastic. The ones on the stands, you can have it in the sitting room beside you if you're watching the TV. If you're in the kitchen, you can move it into the kitchen so that they're da- they're laying down, they're in that consistent sleep space. And maybe when you're upstairs, then they're in the next to me cot. Um, obviously, establishing those safe seat practices are really, really important now. I've been through it twice myself. I have two daughters. It's really, really easy to be sitting in the bed feeding and, you know, you're so tired in those first few stages and tempting to just, you know, pop them down beside you on the bed and fall asleep and they're beautiful to look at. But trying to to stay awake a little bit or maybe if you're feeding, you know, give your partner a little bit of a nudge to stay awake with you mm-hmm. and they can pop them in the, the co-sleeper maybe when they're finished feeding, change the nappy, all of that kind of thing. Um, really, really important to just have safe safe sleep on the on the brain, not to scare anyone, but things can happen. Duvets, all the rest, we're all very tired and very sleep deprived in those first few stages. So really just getting into that habit of when they're finished feeding or when they're ready for a sleep to pop them in the Moses basket down stairs um, not falling asleep on the couch them all that kind of thing Is now, there a difference f- or different rules for breastfed babies or bottle fed babies like if they fall asleep while breastfeeding do you then move them to to the next to me or to the Moses basket yeah, like you're that's, saying that's a really good question if they fall asleep breastfeeding which they will because your your breast milk gives them all that lovely melatonin that sleepy hormone so you know it's it's very hard to keep a newborn awake when they're breastfeeding like mm-hmm. it's designed to put them to sleep it's a superpower um, and on the bottle they get really tired sucking on the bottles when they're newborn so it's not that they can't fall asleep feeding on the bottle or on the breast it's that you're not asleep as well Okay. you know so like if you're feeding maybe you sit up in the bed or you're having a chat to your other half or if you're downstairs on the couch you know you're drinking your water you're watching your TV hold them let them sleep it's that you don't fall asleep as as well but it is okay to you're not saying that they need to then be always put into the sleep space absolutely not no you can work on then after the four week mark maybe six weeks for um, a breastfed baby but certainly after three or four weeks for a bottle fed baby you could work on when they're finished their feed maybe not having having them fall asleep on the bottle and then popping them down if you want to work on having them sleep independently further along the track it's certainly something you can work on at that stage Right so three to four weeks for a bottle fed baby and around six weeks for a breastfed baby establishing those sleep spaces. Yes. Are there other things that you could be doing? Well, the sleep spaces, um, like you can establish from birth but not falling asleep Sorry, yes. doing okay. the feed. Yeah, yeah. So are you putting baby to sleep? Uh, like, are you putting it... 
lying down awake in the Moses basket and hoping it gets itself to sleep? Or is it from the newborn stage? Yeah. No, not from the newborn stage, but when they fall asleep, you could pop them down and let okay. them maintain that sleep and keep going with their nap or the nighttime sleep in the safe sleep space. And what about children that you hear about that, like, the minute they're not attached to a human? They're just screaming. They yeah. just will not sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you and just I, have to let them like cry it out? No, absolutely not. So it's just managing their expectations really. And again, this would be past the newborn stage, you know. Um, this would be really when you're going to try and implement maybe the feed, play, sleep routine or a sleep cycle for newborns. Um, so what I would say there is after you get to maybe the three or four week period for a bottle fed baby and the six week period period for a a breastfed baby you could feed them again they're not going to be quite so sleepy you Mm -hmm. know they're the first three weeks they are so sleepy and they're so tired and they're recovering from the birth um and it's a dream they're probably asleep quite a lot and then they start getting a little bit more wakeful and you're it's 11 p.m and they've had their feed and they want to be awake for an hour and you're thinking this isn't what they were doing a week ago so during the day establishing um feed keeping them awake now for a very short period of time like newborns 45 minutes up to about six weeks that's really all they can do maybe stretching to an hour and a half up to about 12 weeks Um, so newborns feeding them a little bit of stimulation then you know little shakers or a walk around the garden Uh, tummy time's a great one even tummy time when they're they're on on your chest and and looking at you chatting away Um, all the social smiles really coming in around six or eight weeks so you're starting to have a little bit of fun with them so that after the feed and then the sleep. So they're not maybe feeding to sleep on all occasions mm-hmm. at that point. Okay. And are there other, if if babies are getting to associate like feeding with mm-hmm. sleep, are there mm-hmm. other things that you can sort of start to introduce? I don't know, you hear people, I just am going from Instagram. Yeah, yeah. People have like white noise machines. Mm. They mm. have these like swaddle cots that move and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there things that should you should be trying to associate with sleep so that kids... Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So sleepy cues, I suppose, um, good sleep association. So forgetting all the negative sleep associations. Um, so swaddling is fantastic for a newborn, highly recommended. A lot of the hospitals in Ireland won't swaddle babies. When you're in the hospital, they'll use um, loose blankets um, or or tight blankets under, under the sheet. But um, the guidelines certainly would be when you're at home, no loose blankets in the cot whatsoever. So um, if you used an approved swaddle, the love to dream swaddle is fantastic. That really makes a newborn feel really really safe so after they've been fed say during the night and their nappy has changed you pop them in the swaddle and then pop them down and they associate being swaddled then with it being a time for sleep and also it's brilliant at combating that uh, moro reflex the startle reflex so yeah where their hands go which of course wakes them it also makes them feel really really safe and secure so some babies sleep brilliantly when they're being held because you're holding their arms in and you, you yourself are stopping that reflex. So when they're in the swaddle, they're less likely um, to, to wake up. Uh, white noise is fantastic. Again, it's not a negative sleep association that you would have to wean a child off at any stage. It's brilliant um, for being able to boil the kettle downstairs, not be afraid to put a cup of tea on the counter and wake the baby or the dreaded postman coming. You've just spent 40 minutes trying to get your baby to sleep and the doorbell goes. White noise, um, I suppose, blocks out all that background noise, but also it becomes a sleepy cue. Like you've said, you know, you go into the room, the room is lovely and dark, pitch black. If you can get a pitch black, blackout blind, fantastic. Um, It's pitch black. 
back, they're in their swaddle, you're switching on the machine. They now know what's coming. It's mm-hmm. predictable for them. They they know what to expect. They know what's expected of them at that point. And this is at like at what point are they in their own room? And this isn't a, like a next to me crib. Yeah. So for the HSE, um, it would be six months. Uh, the World Health Organization says a year. Um, I think six months is absolutely perfect for them to be in their own nursery. Some people like use your own parents' gut on it. Some people move their babies earlier. Um, certainly for me, one of my daughters uh, was a very light sleeper, and I think it could have been, you know, five, five and a half months when we moved her because we were waking her up all the time. You'd be right, afraid okay. to move in the bed. Um, and they they do sleep better then if they're good sleepers. You've lovely safe sleep sleep space um, in their nursery they sleep better on their own so sometimes you can find when you move them at the six month mark A you're not waking every time they sneeze or cough or roll because you, you're in a very light phase of sleep really when there's a baby next to you because you're, you're waking for every noise they're making and then they're in their own sleep, sleep space and they're not woken by you moving in the bed or people getting up to use the loo or whatever you know um, so six months is, for, for Ireland I'd say is a, a great marker and then it before that so you were saying about establishing morning for mm-hmm. newborns at mm-hmm. start for babies at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. How do you establish night time if they're going to still be waking up and still feeding and Yeah. Yeah. So you have to take the phase the the phrase sleeping through the night with a pinch of salt. So for a, a newborn um or a 6 week old say sleeping through the night that could very well mean with two or three feeds. You know, it's that they're feeding. The room is pitch black. I love um, for feeding during the night using salt lamps. Um, So cheapest chips on Amazon. um, Get a little salt lamp. It's a lovely red light. It aids in the production of melatonin, sleepy hormone. No harsh light, no phone lights, no blue lights going on. So they wake up for their feed at maybe 11 or 12 or 6, as you say, in the morning. The light is really, really low. You give them their feed, but they're still sleepy. They still know it's nighttime. And they don't expect to have their feed at 11pm and you then pull out the maracas and be entertained and all the rest. They want to go back to sleep. Now, they're genuinely hungry they need to be fed at that age through the night but that is a lovely restful peaceful night um i mean babies well up to six months seven months eight months need a feed during the night it's that they go back to sleep after it mm-hmm. you know and it's very clearly nighttime for them and is there does it happen sometimes that they don't like that they want to be entertained or absolutely and if you give into that are you setting up a precedent um, it depends what age it's at moving past the newborn stage yes uh, split nights um, as they're called are very very common so um, you know I would be working with lots of 9, 10, 11 month olds that would be waking up every night on the button at half one and they would be expecting to do jigsaws in the sitting room till half three right okay uh, very much a where ho- does that expectation come from um, Has that happened? or Yeah, it would happen. So what's ha- why they're waking initially at that point is because there is a nap imbalance. So the daytime, nighttime sleep is completely off or the wake periods between the end of the naps and bedtime is, is completely off. So their body clock, their sleep clock is, is wrong. They're a bit jet lagged, I suppose, is mm-hmm. a, a way of looking at it. They wake up and, you know, maybe one night they, they get a bottle and then the next night maybe they ask to come out for a story and then that works and they go back to sleep after half an hour. You think, oh, that wasn't too bad then you know I've, se- I've seen and heard it all they might have a slice of um, Madeira cake <laughs> that's that's been another family I've worked with um, and then they might be doing jigsaws or it just escalates and suddenly people come to me and go I don't know how I've got here 
Like, I don't know how we've got here, but it's not sustainable anymore. Mm-hmm. So I will look at the whole um, sleepover 24 hour period because they're not just randomly waking up. You know, there's a reason why they're doing it. OK, and it's typically that they're sleeping too much during the day. Yeah, too much off? during the day. Um, yeah, too much during the day, I'd say, would be the most um, uh, frequent answer to that question. And then their expectation when they wake is really set that they're going to get a certain amount of attention. So changing that expectation for them. And do you change it by just like ghosting them? <laughs> no, no, no. God, uh, they would not take um, well to that. Any child that's old enough to a jigsaw, if you left them alone, they'd yes, be yeah. very, very angry. No, so you would stay and support them really um, through the wake, but keep them in their cot, I would be suggesting reassuring them that it's still sleepy time if it means sitting beside the cot for the first couple of nights for two hours but the expectation is that they've stayed in the cot the wake won't seem as exciting for them anymore, you know, and you can work your way out of the room, I would say gradually over the course of kind of seven to ten nights slow and steady for that age group for sure, yeah and uh, I've heard people asking on Instagram about sleep regressions Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how to navigate those, I think yeah My understanding is that basically you think you've got it all set and everything's great and then all of a sudden everything changes. Yeah, so the big one, the one that's always talked about on Instagram is the four-month sleep progression. Um, To quickly talk about the other ones, they're probably due to a baby learning how to sit up and they're sitting up in the cot and they can't maybe lie back down or standing up and climbing out of the cot or a huge one around 18 months is around separation anxiety where, you know, you've perfectly fine sleep and suddenly they realise you're leaving the room and they're not going to see you for 11 or 12 hours, you Mm -hmm. know. But the four-month sleep progression is a huge one. And I suppose the best way to think about it, to try and reframe it, is to think of it as a a progression and why it's happening. So the brain development, they're progressing into something. And what's happening is their sleep cycles are maturing. So they're going from that really, really sleepy newborn um, to a baby that now has the same sleep cycles as an adult. Okay. Right, okay, so much more um, light phases of sleep. So coming up out of sleep cycles much more frequently and they don't know how to go back into the next one. Okay. So it's very important um, to think about this as a three to five month sleep progression. So it's called the four month sleep progression. There are all the hashtags, all of that kind of thing. Uh, but it can happen anywhere from three months and you think you're past it and maybe you're five and a half month old now starts doing the things you expected a month and a half ago when right, you thought okay. you got through you it, you, got, you know. You thought you were in the safe Yeah, thing. yeah. So, um, their sleep cycles are maturing and a baby, now this is what we're talking about, the, the feed to sleep. A baby who is has always, say, for example, been fed to sleep is now coming up out of these sleep cycles multiple times a night and expecting a feed. So your baby that was doing longer stretches and you're thinking, this isn't too bad. I'm feeding once at 11. I'm feeding once at four. I'm grand. I'm getting chunks of sleep. Is now waking every two hours for a feed. And doesn't know what else to do. Except doesn't to know what else to do. And like do they not, need a feed? Like, are they hungry? At no. All? And where you'll notice this at that age is they They'll, they'll wake for a little drink of a bottle, as I say, or, you know, they'll be using you as a soother if you're breastfeeding, like two minutes, quick suck, and they're they're gone. They're, they're back gone. asleep again. Or half an ounce or an ounce of a bottle. You know, not a full feed. Yeah. Of course, your baby will go through growth spurts and, you know, say it's easiest, easiest probably to use the bottle example because you can see the ounces. They'll be downing a five ounce bottle a bit more frequently during the night. And you'll think, well, they really were hungry. But if your baby's waking and having a little sup of a bottle and half an ounce and conking out again in the next hour and or half an ounce that's not genuine hungry mm-hmm. you know um, so establishing very important establishing how they're falling asleep at the start of the night so if they need a bottle to initiate their sleep or a feed to initiate the sleep to get them to sleep that's what they're going to need every time they wake right, to okay. maintain their sleep 
you know um, so really really I would always say with families I'm working with let's start at the, the beginning of the night let's see how we can get them to fall asleep independently if they learn that skill they'll know what to do when they wake during the night because it'll be the same set of expectations and associations that they had when they wake up they think well I fell asleep here in my cot I was fine I did it myself I know what to do I'll roll over and go back to sleep and how do you teach them that like if they're used to falling asleep during a feed you have to keep them awake while they're feeding and then um, yeah so at the start say you have a four month old okay so they're 16 weeks now they're not a little teeny tiny baby anymore and you're doing your lovely bedtime routine and you're doing your baby massage and your bath and all of that kind of thing probably your first baby because you have time for all of this <laughs> you're not running around after the other one um, you've got their lovely routine um, maybe you will give the bottle or the breastfeed not in the room they're sleeping in for the last feed so you might do it downstairs where the curtains are open or you might do it in another bedroom in a, in a feeding chair or something where you're comfortable. And then what I would suggest is you go into the room that they're sleeping in and the last stage of the bedtime routine is a little picture book. So pop in a little stage that that um, comes after the feet. So you feed in another room. I do like to still have the feet very close to when they're falling asleep because I think you do need a good feed so that they're nice and full before they go down. I wouldn't be inclined to suggest push the feed out 45 minutes before they go down or anything because they're going to be hungry quicker during the night. Yes, okay. So it can still be close to bedtime, but just not the last step of the routine. So then bring them into the room they're sleeping in. Do your little picture book. Like a 16-week-old isn't going to be loving a story, but flick through a little soft book. The same book every night when you're trying to establish this. Again, the sleepy cues. Um, the blinds are down. Pop on your sound machine. At this stage, they'll be in a sleep sack, not a swaddle. Mm-hmm. Pop them in their swaddle. Pop them in the cot. They'll go, hang on a second. Why am I wide awake in this thing? And you'll sit beside them and you might hum to them, shush them, pat them, stay with them, help them learn how to fall asleep themselves in the cot it's a long process I mean by long I say it can take a week or two weeks but you need to commit to it and mm-hmm. stick it out yeah, yeah. don't leave them by all means don't leave them and work your way so maybe after three or four nights you're going to stop the rubbing and the patting and you're going to just do the humming and the shushing and then you work your way further out of the room and eventually you're out of the door and you know you pop them down the cot you're watching on the monitor and they're trying to put themselves to sleep and they might give out after five minutes and you can come back in and you can say shh, shh sleepy time and you can leave again. And that's all the, the reassurance they might need. And it works. You know, I've worked with hundreds of families. It works. Um, they're amazing how quick they learn. People literally can't believe how quick their babies turn a corner when, when they've been fed to sleep constantly. They think, oh, my God, my baby's going to be the one baby who can't do this. They can all do it. And so how does that change then when they wake up frequently throughout the night? Then you just need to... You don't need to feed them. You just go back into the room. Exactly. Go back into the room and do exactly what you did at the start of the night. Now, what I like to use, and this is a really, really good tip for parents, is how do you get the feeds in during the night at 16, 17, 18 weeks and not confuse them? Yes. So they still do need to be fed at night. So how can I go, oh, well, it's 10 o'clock now. Um, they need to have a feed. They've woken up. I, I, I need to feed them. So what I would be suggesting doing then is say you put them down at 7 o'clock at about a quarter to 10 pick them up from the cot fast asleep. So this is called a dream feed. Okay. You pick them up fast asleep from their cot. You give them their breastfeed or you give them their bottle feed. They haven't been picked up and fed as a result of crying, looking for the feed so that your reaction on the other times they wake, say half an hour after that feed when you know it's not genuine hunger, is the same at the start of the night. Okay. So you feed them. It doesn't matter if they wake up when you pick them up. doesn't matter if they wake when you're feeding them or put them back down. It's that, it's that they weren't fed as a result 
of, of crying and waking, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. So your response is really consistent. And then at the other wakes, when they aren't, say, scheduled dream feeds, because you might have a dream feed at 10, at 2, at every four hours still, or a baby who's, you know, doing really well on their feeds during the day, or maybe they're, you know, six months and they're they're well established on solids. Um, you know, they might only need the 10 p.m. feed. I like to do that 10 p.m. dream feed until about seven or eight months. Um, even if a baby is well established on solids, well established on their bottles, because I think it eliminates any early rising. So like if you're putting your baby down at 7 p.m. and they're seven months, well, they could genuinely be hungry at half five, six o'clock. Yes, Whereas yeah. if they've had a dream feed at, say, quarter to 10, 10 o'clock, well, you're much more likely to get post 6 a.m. Yes, okay, so it's yeah. just the one dream feed. Just the one dream feed. Um, yeah, at, at that age, certainly, yeah. And then how do you eventually drop overnight feeds? Like, at what point do they not no longer need it? And how yeah. do you wean them off that sort of, that association that they have? Yeah, so I suppose using that dream feed technique would, would be um, the way to go with that. Now, um, you know, people would work with a sleep consultant to drop overnight bottles, particularly... So 10pm doesn't count as overnight? No, it would, but it's... Like it's you, will they, when do they sleep from 7 to 7? 7 say. to 7 and not need an overnight feed. Like, feed. definitely... Need is different to want. Need, you know I mean? Exactly, so. exactly. So, like, it, it would very much depend on the baby and their weight and, you know, if they're well established on their foods, if they're getting their milk in during the day. Um, most babies, 7, 8, 9 months around that point, all babies, I would say, and I'm, I'm pretty confident with saying all babies by 12 months. OK, mm-hmm. and, you know, if your baby at 12 months is still guzzling three five ounce bottles during the night and it's not working for you anymore, you need to do something about it or waking up and having a little drink of a bottle and going back to sleep. And in that case, I would um, I wouldn't go cold turkey on it because like regardless of the, the fact whether you needed a chocolate bar every night at 11 p.m., if you had it every night at 11 p.m., you'd be hungry for it, yes, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you'd have to replace those feeds with dream feeds for a couple of nights or, or a week and when they woke at those habit wakes because you know when you're working with families as a sleep consultant and you're looking at their sleep log of the wakes before you work with them their wakes will be like 11.04 every night 1.37 they'll Absolute be so habit. ingrained mm-hmm. such habit wakes such expectation wakes so say you've given them a dream feed at 10 they're, they're a 13 month old baby you've given them a dream feed at 10 and they wake at 11.04 you work through that wake with the stay and support method or um, whatever method you've decided to use and commit it to do your own research as a parent see what sits well with you with regards to sleep training method there's loads of them and I don't know any um, sleep consultant in Ireland that use cry it out. yeah so it's it, just it, stay in support but don't pick up stay and in not. support or don't pick up but also just because the stay in support you know is is flagged as like the be all and the end all as sleep training methods and of course every parent wants to um, you know sit beside the cot and, and help a child but it's very important to assess that approach and if you sitting beside the cot for an hour is winding your child up aggravating the situation say you're trying to br- um, break breastfeeding to sleep association and you the mother is sitting beside the cot it's like asking someone to give up a bar of chocolate and plonking the, plonk it on their desk all day mm-hmm. and work like, that could be very hard for a child and they couldn't understand so sometimes it's good to send the other half in and do the stay and support or use a different method you mm-hmm. know where you're not there constantly not leaving your child but not there constantly so you as the parent might want to use the stay in support and do 
absolutely everything you can to help your child but what's best for the child yes okay you know um, and that will depend child to child on what their needs it'll are it'll depend child to child it'll absolutely um, depend on your parenting style and, and what you want to go with in your gut as a parent yeah Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, HumdingerMortgages.ie, your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business, right? Not the application business. They have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end. And they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application. But then they don't abandon you. They will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply. They specialise in helping first-time buyers, people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate. And like for me, I'm going to switch my mortgage. I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage. Mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make. So take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey. My first poem went viral January last. I wrote a book and now I host a podcast. I'll have guests, we'll laugh and we'll moan and we'll realise that everybody's a poem. Hello, I'm Jan Brereton. I'm a mom, a fashion stylist, a perpetual sweary person and an accidental poet. In the thick of lockdown, I wrote a poem. What day is it? Who gives a fuck? I'd never written a poem before, but once I started writing, I couldn't stop. I'd love you to join me each fortnight for my podcast, Everybody is a Poem, where I'll read some poems and I'll chat with guests who inspire me. Everybody is a Poem with me, Jan Brereton, coming soon to the Head Stuff Podcast Network. So while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens, which are branded with the basically branding and you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. If you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for five euro plus that. Uh, or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the five euro that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. Or you can pick just one podcast. Say you pick my podcast, then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network. So it's a really, really good deal. Five euro, all of these special podcasts. So if you want to do that, do it. I'll be very, very grateful. The people who are in the community, the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people. They support the podcast. They mean that you can listen to this podcast for free. It's five euro a month. I'm going to stop talking now, but I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Oh, and also, if you cannot afford to support the podcast, but you want to support the podcast, you can also give us a five star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people. 
that's it just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it who you think will benefit from it that helps to get our listeners up which helps us get sponsorship it's all how it works and uh, yeah I'd be really grateful if you do that too bye what is the situation with soothers yeah soothers so when when do they when are they suggest are they are they good are they bad yeah yeah I I think they're they're great at the start um, to use Um, they're brilliant if you're breastfeeding gives you a little bit of a break you don't become a human soother they're brilliant if a baby has reflux or colic or anything like that you know it it really does exactly what it says in the tin it soothes them Um, the trick with soothers is to try and help a baby fall asleep using the soother but not use them to maintain their sleep. So using it to suck and relax and maybe when the baby is falling asleep or is in a deep sleep, see can you take it out and see can they complete the rest of the nap without the soother in their mouth. So where it becomes a problem is that your baby needs the soother in their mouth at all times to stay asleep overnight. So it's falling out, you're popping it back in. It's falling out, you're popping it back in and you're putting it back in 50, 100 times a night because they literally cannot sleep without it in their mouth. Whereas if you're using it properly to just soothe them, um, you're using it when they're falling asleep, it's relaxing them, the sucking is, is relaxing them and then you take it out and they stay asleep. That's okay. ideal because they are fantastic. They're amazing parenting tricks. They're brilliant for the car. If your baby doesn't like the car, all of those kinds of things. And do you take it out when they're asleep? When they're asleep, yeah. Or literally on the verge of falling asleep, you know. What do you do then if they wake straight away? If they wake straight away, well, then probably they have a negative association with the soother. So the babies don't need the soother. So you might stop using it after four or five, six weeks. Um, if you continue to use it, just be very aware that your baby probably until about eight or nine months won't have the developmental capacity to wake up in the middle of the night and go, where's my soother? And try and reach around the cot and find it. So you're going to be playing. You're going to be popping it back in. Absolutely. Now there's loads out in the market there there, there's glow in the dark ones now I'm a big fan if um, I start working with a child who's over six months who I probably wouldn't try and take it from at that age I'd probably they're over six or seven months I'd really leave it with the child until they're maybe two and a half three until you can give it to the fairy tree or the soother tree you know you see them on all the parks that the the soother's hanging from them and you can you know maybe leave it under the Christmas tree for Santa and get loads of presents the next day that's they love that Um, but you know post six months doing the soother sprinkle is great so popping a load of them in their cot um, and maybe they're not at the stage of being able to reach for it yet but maybe the mum doesn't want to get rid of it or the, the parents don't want to get rid of the soother and we'll we'll work with the child keeping the soother and I'll say okay every time they wake get their hand put it to the soother and put their hand back in their mouth so it becomes muscle memory so when they do reach the stage and sometimes they're just lazy they're 10 or 11 months and they just let out a little cry and they know someone's going to pop run in and pop the soother in for them so making them do it themselves you know um, just again uh, creating a new habit like if they wake fine for the soother but they pop it back in themselves so really working on that skill and if you establish early (coughs) that it's taken out just on the precipice mm-hmm. of sleep. Yes. Does that prevent, like if it they've would. never slept yeah. with it through the night, it won't? It, it won't become a habit. Yeah, yeah. Um, how does, like once they get into the teething phase, I don't mm. know what age that happens at, but does that impact their sleep? Yeah, yeah, hugely. So 
the teeth are a hard one and some babies start teething as young as three months so don't question yourself if you see your baby drooling like mad red gums hot gums and you think oh my god like on the internet and everywhere at google it says six months Uh, my own daughter had two teeth at five months Uh, my second daughter didn't have her first tooth till ten months so they're all different Mm -hmm. you know and I actually think the 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 my eldest who had it early she couldn't cope with the pain that young it was really really hard so although my youngest was teething longer she was better able to cope with it because she was that bit older so um, teething early is really really hard for them what's very important to note is don't put everything all the way comes down to teething oh they're teething they haven't slept in two weeks oh they're teething haven't slept in the last month really teething pain should only be really bad enough to cause a night wake about a night or two before the tooth actually erupts right okay now obviously it's hard if they're getting teeth back to back you know but they generally don't they get the top two a couple of weeks later or a few weeks later they get the bottom two they mightn't get any more for a while so you'd be very unfortunate to kind of get them all back to back now that might happen if they start teething late 10, 11, 12 months they might get a load and a go Um, but again they'll cope with it better a couple of things to think about is when you're in a deep sleep you're not going to feel the pain as much so a baby who's sleeping well from five or six months potentially sleeping through the night is going to be much better able to cope with the tooth pain in fact they probably well I'm going to say they probably won't wake they might wake that night or two before but they're not going to get long spells of disrupted sleep they're going to be in a nice deep sleep yeah they might have shorter naps during the day when their sleep pressure is lower or they might wake at half five instead of half six we're in there when they're in that last really light phase of sleep but they're not going to be waking at 11 12 1 2 you know so what's happening there when parents think it's teething they probably have a negative association with something so you know I'm finding a lot more that um, parents back to the soother thing are rubbing the teething gel on the soother and it's just an absolute addiction so they're rubbing the teething teething gel on the soother and they're rubbing it on the baby's gums because they think they're teething or they might have been teething and you know they're fine now but now they want the teething gel every hour at night right okay yeah I know and um, it's just become such a thing Um, I'm seeing it more and more particularly in the last year like it's been dipped into clove uh, not clove oil I think it's a little pot that some of the chemists make up the, Mm -hmm. the clove gel the soother is literally dunked into the clove gel rubbed all over the gums they're awake an hour later for another dab of clove gel so, so is yeah. it just to never do that in the first instance no it's, it's to do it and when the tooth comes up the Stop. tooth is up right, okay. yeah yeah, and and to, to know that they don't need clove gel every hour you know <laughs> you know so just I know it's you, th- you nearly don't even notice it and sometimes when I see people's um, sleep logs before they work with me they say to me oh my god it's only when I wrote it down I realised how many makes wakes we've been dealing with for the last year. Like, it's crazy when people see things on paper. You know, you're, it's the middle of the night and you're running in and out. You probably don't even think you're up 15 times. You might have thought it was five. Yes, you know, yeah, you're yeah. in a haze running up and down the landing, dunking soothers into, into clove gel. Um, but be careful of that. Also, um, that age group, the kind of the pre-12 months, are the most under-medicated demographic. People, you are afraid. You question yourself, can I give Capol again? Can I? D-? If you think your child is in pain, they've been cranky all day, the bib is drenched, um, they've had really short naps, give them paracetamol. They're in pain. You would not take it for yourself. Yes, yes. Obviously, you're going to be looking at the back of the package. You're going to be within your guidelines. Talk to your GP if you have any questions about how much you're giving them. But medicate them. So if they go down to bed at 7 p.m., 
they've had an awful day, they've a nappy rash, they're drooling, they clearly have signs of teething, give them some Calpol, help them get into that really, really deep sleep. They probably sleep much better if they're a good sleeper. And do you continue, like, if they're sick like that, do you continue with all of the other sleep routines that you have? Mm-hmm. Or is it okay to... I don't know. Like at Hold them, pick them up. You yeah. have them in the bed. Absolutely. When they're sick, all bets are off. You know, if they have a temperature. Is there a fear then that they get a so that that becomes a habit? They might. Do you know, like um, I've been through it myself. They're in the bed for a couple of nights because they've got a temperature. You want to keep your eyes off them. Of course, they don't want to go back into their own cot. They want to be snuggled in with mum all night. Much comfier bed. Um, but like you just you get back at it. You know they're better. You say, right, tonight we're going back into the cot. You might have to sit beside the cot for an hour when they're falling asleep. You make it all nice again. A brilliant one is bubbles. If they're especially if they're toddlers, pop them into the cot. Start blowing bubbles over the cot. They're jumping up and down. They're popping the bubbles. You're maybe doing peekaboo outside the cot. Um, um, just really make sure it's a lovely place that they want to be. Uh, generally, when they're better, if they're good sleepers, they'll want to go back. But on that, actually, if you're going through it um, and your child has a negative association with the cot and you literally can't get them into the cot, there's starfish over the top of it, mm-hmm. not wanting to go in. Bubbles is brilliant. Bubble machine. Make the cot somewhere where they're not put to go in and, you know, they're forced to sleep or it's a place where they're always crying. Just do it at 11 o'clock in the morning instead of going to the park play in the cot right, throw okay. softballs in and out throw teddies in and out do peekaboo do bubbles don't even make them sleep so there that night so not sleep oh no, yeah take, remove time. it from sleep make it a lovely place to be um, get them liking the cot some kids won't even go into their own rooms like they because that's where they go to sleep on their own and they don't want to. Mm-hmm. So um, establishing the room is a lovely place to be. Um, you know, some of those cots are huge now. Get in and lie beside them and read a story, you know, just yeah. make it nice, you know. Um, what about older children then? Like, um, I know obviously it's good to establish it at mm-hmm. birth, but if you haven't done that yeah. and yeah. now they're... I don't know, toddlers or even older. What do you do about bedtime battles in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said at the beginning there, like at 18 months, things can go belly up. They can really, really get Even if they've been Even if they've been great sleepers, yeah. At any stage, you know, that 18 months, two years, that separation anxiety, um, strong personalities, terrible twos, all of that kind of thing. Um, Routine, uh, giving them a bit of choice. Uh, I love for kind of maybe two and a half, three and up um, bedtime posters. So, you know, giving them some sort of authority over bedtime, making them think they're they're making up the rules. So um, create the bedtime poster with them. The first step might be the teeth. They get a lovely sticker for that because they, that's not a battle. Okay, so mm-hmm. positive reinforcement before they, they get to the bit that they don't like. Making them pick their own pyjamas. So obviously not sitting there for an hour at the pyjama drawer where they decide what they want to do, but, you know, a and B. To A and B, exactly, yeah. Um, a and B for the story, all that kind of thing. They're getting their sticker, they're getting their sticker, they're so happy. It's not to say they're going to kick up, not going to kick up when they go into the bed, but it's been a, um, a positive situation up until then. And then if they get into the bed, they get the sticker for that. And then if they wait, stay in their bed all night, they come down, they get the sticker for that. Um, a little tri- a trip to a big toy shop at the start of the week to say if you get all your five nights, because it, it literally will only take five to seven nights to break an old habit and create a new one at that age. Okay. They, they can get whatever they want in, in whatever toy shop uh, within reason, obviously, or they go and they pick out their, their Peppa Pig or their Paw Patrol or whatever they want um, and they know that that's the carrot there. Or a trip to the zoo or they go swimming with daddy. Something they, they really, really want. Um, I do find that the carrot needs to be big enough <laughs> it needs yes, to be something okay. they really really want um, but they will they will play ball and again then 
not giving in to them. So um, if they're, you know, in their bed at three and try as best you can to keep your child into the cot until they're three, because before three, they don't really have any impulse control. So even if you really chatted to do a two, two and a half year old about staying in the bed and we don't get out of our bed at night, they will wake up and they will be halfway down the landing before they even think about whether it's something they're supposed to be doing or yeah, not. So, very, yeah. so um, at about three, you know, pop them into the bed. It's all very exciting. The first while, a, a lot of things can go wrong when they go into the bed because suddenly they can just be, you know, you know that thing of when you wake up at night and you open your eyes and your three-year-old's yeah. looking straight at you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, they can be down and also safety. You don't want them walking around the house. Stairgates are brilliant in children's rooms. Like at the door of their at room. At the door. Yeah, really, really good. It creates a visual barrier as well. So um, for a lot of three and four year olds who've been getting out of the bed a lot, um, again, just because of habit, if we put a stair gate on their room, they get to the stair gate and think, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And the, you can see them on the camera. They toddle back and go into bed. Right, okay. You know, uh, you can make a little stop sign that they've made themselves at the gate, all of that kind of thing, just to help them, you know. Um, and back into the bed. And again, if you don't, uh, some door frames, you know, don't work well with stair gates. If they keep coming back to you, silent return back to their bed. Boring, consistent, not exciting. Walking them back to their bed, they get in themselves, they pull the covers up. It sounds harsh, but if you if they're coming to the side of your bed and you're going, no, come on, you know, Johnny or whatever, you need to go back, you're picking them up, you're giving them a cuddle walking down the landing, you're putting them in, kiss, duvet up, Teddy, they're going to keep getting out of bed yes, for all that all affection that and yeah, everything yeah. like that. So just kind of, I would say, herd them back, nearly don't even hold their hand um, and pop them to the end of the bed, pop them back in, no eye contact, walk back and... Um, you know, that that takes a lot of work. That can take uh, a lot of consistency, a lot of patience. And I think what happens is when people are, are working on this on their own, after three or four nights, they think, oh, my God, they still got out of bed five times and they think this isn't working. You yes, know, yeah, it's to keep plugging at it. Yeah, yeah. Slowly, slowly, slowly and surely with that age group. Um, and how do you entice them or... Um, <laughs> incentivize them to stay in bed like in the morning yeah. so that they're not getting up at like four or five yeah this is a big one and you know this just kills people like it really does because your child is going to bed at seven o'clock you've got all the other jobs to do or you're staying up just having a bit of peace and quiet watching Netflix scrolling on your phone just doing nothing you go to bed at 11 your child is up at four or five like mm-hmm. it's just you know really really hard for parents um, and what mostly happens in a house with you know two or three kids is one child gets up and wants to get up and the other are awake then you know yes, the whole yeah. house is up and it's impacting on everyone then the children who who don't want to be early risers as well so um with a younger baby um say a year who's still in the cot um and you're you're dealing with early rising it's to not reinforce the early rising so what do you do when your child wakes up at five and you don't want your, to start your day until six? And and be realistic with the 6 a.m. It could very easily be 6 a.m. If your child is going to bed at seven and they're waking up at six, that's 11 hours sleep. OK, and they're still napping twice a day. That's so you're, sufficient. Yeah, yeah, it is sufficient. OK, so don't don't go to a sleep consultant and try and get 8 a.m. You know, it's, yes. it's not realistic. But I say 6 a.m. is an OK time to wake. Everything after that is a bonus. So you think happy days have got to have 620 to seven. It's like a lion on a Saturday. So the 7 a.m.s will come in time when they've dropped the naps, but certainly at the beginning, think 6 a.m. So 
if your child is waking at five and you're going in at five and you're going, oh God, this is so early, but you're going in, you're opening the curtains, you're chatting to them, you're coming down, they're having their first feed at a quarter past five or maybe they're in front of whatever Netflix, you know, show mm-hmm. at a quarter past five, that is going to set their body clock. It's right, going to okay. reinforce that wake. Um, so if you say, no, our okay time to wake in this house is 6 a.m., if they wake happy at 5 a.m., that is an ideal scenario. Don't go near them. They're happy. They're in their cot. They're babbling. Five to seven, that last phase of sleep for a child is a very light phase of sleep. And I often think from five to six, they're only just dozing, really. So they might wake at five. They could chat away. They could sing from five to ten past five. They might go back to sleep. Right, till okay. half five but if you've gone in straight away at five you'll never have had that opportunity to see if they can do that they might wake again from half five to 26 they might doze again for another 10 minutes okay that's the ideal scenario that they're happy but people say to me but they wake crying at five which which is a red flag that they haven't had enough sleep first of all right, if they okay. wake happy they're rested and they're they're fully restored if they wake crying same for naps they probably haven't had enough sleep. So they wake crying and, you know, they're they're young and you don't want to leave them. Go into them. Um, stay beside the cot. Keep them in their cot. Try and get them back to sleep if you can. Um, even if it is rocking, you know, you're not going to start a bad habit if they're good sleepers, if it's only the early rising. But you're rocking them. You're keeping them in the dark room. You're not going to have the first feed until 6am. All of those things will push out the wake. Maybe you're happy to leave them from five to a quarter past five and not go in until a quarter past five. Mm-hmm. Maybe then their wake up time pushes to 10 past five and you're happy to leave it from five to 20 past five. So it's all about not reinforcing the early wake. Um, very important also to look at why the early wake might be happening. And the number one reason for an early wake is overtiredness. So that would mean that your child is going to bed too tired. And it sounds really ironic. Lots of people will put their babies to bed maybe at eight then or half eight. Think they'll get, you know, seven o'clock out of them. The wakes start to become earlier even in the morning. So putting your child to bed at half six, quarter to seven, seven o'clock, rested, making sure there's not a huge wake period or wake window between the afternoon nap and bedtime. That's very important. So for a 12 month old for example if their afternoon nap was from 1 to 3 they would need to be in bed at 7 that's a 4 hour wake period if you stretch that to 5 hours and put them to bed at 8 they're overtired going to bed and they're less likely to sleep later in the morning so a well rested child is more likely to do that dozy hour like I said you know than to wake up wired and crying and if they wake up from a nap crying do you try and make them go back to sleep or just have a nap again yeah depending on the age like if if they're young enough and you can fit in another nap before bedtime I I would get them up Um, the golden rule for naps is an hour is fully restorative so if they wake up crying after an hour I'd probably get them up and try and make up the sleep somewhere else Um, if they woke up crying after 20 or 30 minutes that nap needs to be longer but if they wake up from an hour crying and an hour is restorative then how are they overtired? Because maybe that's the only hour they've had in the day. Right. You okay. know, so, you know, in the, the the major one is if they are on a two nap day. So they have their nap in the morning from nine to ten. That was terrible. It was nine to nine thirty five. Then they were put down in the afternoon where that afternoon nap should be an hour and a half, two hours. They wake up after an hour. It's sleep death. It's really, really starting to build up. But that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So then they fall asleep and wake up in the morning. So basically if they're overtired during the day they may yeah 
sleep less at night, even though that sounds counterintuitive. Yeah, absolutely. So less sleep is rarely the answer. I think that's what you need to think about. And keeping your baby awake during the day is absolutely going to backfire on you. Right. They're going to be overtired at night and it's going to cause a buildup of cortisol, the stress hormone. But you should be waking them in the mornings. Should wake them in the morning and you would cap naps. Like you wouldn't put them down at 1pm for a nap and they're still asleep at, at four or half four. Right. Okay. You know, so you wake them to feed. That's a really important tip in the newborn days as well. Like a newborn could sleep for four hours during the day. You need to be waking that baby to feed them. And is that different to dream sleep where like you actually have to wake them and they have to be alert Absolutely. and roused and then yeah. you feed them? Yeah, because you want a good feed in. So like if it's a proper feeding time, like say you're, you're a one week old baby, you'd need to be feeding them, you know, every two or three hours. Yes. you wouldn't want to let them sleep through feeds if you're in the hospital the nurses will be coming in and saying wake that baby now get a feed in and also will they not just wake when they're hungry um, not if they're very sleepy and maybe they're jaundice you know there right, could okay. be a lot going on they, they're really worn out after their journey into the world you will have to wake them um, maybe not all babies but a lot of them um, and also get all that milk in in the 12 hours when they're supposed to be feeding Right, okay. So you then know, they have more yeah, chance of get their mills in and their ounces in and get their bottles in during the day. Um, so they have a chance, like, no point in trying to stretch feeds during the day and going, oh, well, they can go four hours during the day. Why can't they sleep four hours at night? They're not sleeping four hours at night because they've been stretching their feeds during the day. Okay. You know, so feed, 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 feed during the day when you're awake and you want to be feeding, you know? So that you're preventing it from happening. Exactly, yeah. So we've talked about Instagram and how there's like so much information on mm. there. And it's a great resource, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. at what point do you think people should be like, at this point, I need a sleep consultant. Like at this point, I yeah. can't. Yeah. Like Instagram isn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's not oh, sufficient. my God. And it, it, Instagram is the same for everything. Fitness, health, everything. It's just mind boggling the amount of information out there and what's right, right and what's wrong. I think the question or sorry, the sentence I hear time and time again is this isn't sustainable anymore. Mm-hmm. So I get contacted Um, probably I'd say 80% it's not as high as 90% but 80% by mums okay Mm -hmm. who are working full time and they're driving on the M50 first thing in the morning and they haven't had more than you know three hours sleep maybe not even in the one chunk that night and you know I think where sleep training and working with sleep consultants has come to the forefront is because mums are back to work and they're trying to hold down jobs and they're not sleeping when the baby sleeps they're at an office they're Mm -hmm. at a desk or they're teaching or they're doing whatever Um, and it's just not sustainable anymore they cannot function on that little sleep and they need some help and they've read everything and they've tried everything but they're actually so sleep deprived they can't implement anything or they can't absorb the information they don't know where to look and they want the support and they want the daily support you know from a sleep consultant to check in with them you know two or three times a day to literally hold their hand through the process and do the work for them and for them to come out at the other end getting a chunk of sleep or someone else being able to settle the baby um, and for them to be happier them to be more rested and their child to be more well rested because usually a child who's not sleeping well at night is a really difficult child during the day as well because they're so exhausted because they're so exhausted they're probably not eating their food so what does it look like then when they engage like a sleep consultant do you ring yeah. them to check in or do yeah. you talk about the sleep logs yeah so I'm really annoying I'm like on their tail all the time because I want to make sure everything's been done right so usually with uh, every sleep consultant is different some sleep consultants you'll send 
their, your sleep login um, in the morning and they might check in once a day. I'm usually on a WhatsApp group with um, the mom, the dad, sometimes the child minder, sometimes granny and granddad, loads of granny and granddads because they might be minding one yes, day a week yeah. or whatever and we're all best buds by the end of it. We find it really hard to break up at the end of the two or, th- or four weeks and um, I will be like, right, how did nap one go? What was the time? Do this for the next nap. I have to find the balance and parents need to find the balance with me and with any sleep consultant that you work with to yes take the information and let them help you but also set you up to be able to do it on your own so troubleshoot things with you but maybe say what do you think of for the next nap time or do you think that nap suited them or when will we do the next bottle because all the feeding and bottle times and breastfeeding times are very important as well so um I would check in in the morning. How did last night go? What worked? What didn't work? What do we need to tweak? Uh, that will work throughout the day. Obviously, if it's a small baby, you're checking in two or three times a day because there's that many naps. If it's a toddler, it might be just did the afternoon nap go okay? Mm, they might say no, it was really short. They only did 40 minutes. And I'll say, right, bedtime needs to be quarter past six. Bring it back. You know, Make so it earlier. Like make it earlier. Yeah, yeah. make it earlier. Um, or they had a brilliant nap. Brilliant do what we planned put them to bed at that time we all know the plan for tonight we're maybe moving you know ourselves further away from the cot or you know what step are we taking in the right direction and then suppose gradually after the two or four weeks um, you know you might need to contact them as much and I love when I don't hear from people on day 10 the next morning because I know they've forgotten to text me everything's gone so well they don't need yeah. help anymore you know no news is good news um, and, and like that m- mums are really busy and they might send a voice note on the drive into work about how the night went so it has to be really easy sometimes people don't have time in the morning if they're getting three kids out the door to sit down do sleep log log, and all of that kind of thing Um, but also if you're really into your sleep and who isn't work with a sleep consultant on their newborn packages most sleep consultants do them so that you can set your child up for success and you know um, establish a good routine it's not just about solving problems yes, okay. it can be setting things up I love doing the newborn consultations we work on routine we work on feeding we work on sleep space and happy days if I never hear from them again yeah, because then you it's know, yeah. and and they've left with good routines from like six to twelve months and twelve to eighteen months, and they've they've taken all that information, and they're probably going to be really into working on routine and and loving their sleep if they've engaged in a sleep consultant at four or six weeks. If people want to get in touch with you, um, do you have social media? Where can they find you? Yeah, so um, very active on Instagram at the Lullaby Lady. Mm-hmm. Um, loads and loads of posts and info there, and brilliant if that's helpful for people. I'm I'm always happy to answer some questions in the DMs as well. Or um, www.thelullabylady.ie is the website with all the packages and everything. Heather Dent, thank you so much. Thank uh, you. I'm sure you will that'll be very reassuring to many of the mothers who who requested the sleep episode Um, that is another episode of Basically our music is by Only Ruin our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network see you next week This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.